This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome in to episode 120 of Press Pass. I'm Kayla Anderson and joined by my co-host Joshua Perry. We're getting the setup going on the video side little by little here, but you can always listen to us if you don't want to see our faces on audio, right? That's never going away. That's what a podcast is. How are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm just now noticing this. It says episode 120. Like, I what is going on? This is another milestone. It is. I, when I was typing out the agenda, I, I hate when I have to type out the odd numbers. But when I get to hit those even numbers, I'm like, yes. And then yeah. we have the 120 today. So it just keeps going by faster and faster. It's crazy to think we're already at that point. And hopefully, we had talked about this before the show, things are going to start picking up with spring ball coming back soon. Because you said the Buckeyes are, are almost back on the field here. Yeah, I mean, it should be the end of the week or next week, and they'll be ready to start up some spring football, which I know a lot of people have been anxiously awaiting. We have on this show been anxiously awaiting the return of uh, football and yes. it gives us a little bit of um, optimism because last year around this time, it wasn't no spring football going on. <laughs> I can't even imagine like looking back now at, at, I don't even know how we like actually had content every week, but we did looking back at it. I'm like, man, I'm so glad that that is in the, in the rear view mirror, rear view, view mirror. If I can talk today, um, just hoping that that kind of a situation does not occur again. So, yeah, well, I think last year we became more of like a, uh, uh, a TMZ gossip show because we were just whatever the rumor mill was saying, we were like giving our thoughts uh, on that because nobody knew what no. was going to happen and, and how we were going to proceed forward and what was going to go on, how long we would be doing things differently. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we were just, we were talking about all the juicy little rumors. Exactly. And you know, it got us through, it, it, it got us through every week. <laughs> we had something sure to chat about. <laughs> so I was reading an article, Joshua, and I wanted to get your opinion on this, but the NCAA looks like it is considering a rule adjustment when it comes to overtime. And I know not everybody loves the current overtime rule. So let me just read what that is if you're not familiar with it. So teams are required to run two-point plays after a touchdown if a game reaches three overtimes. And then it would run alternating two-point plays once a game reaches the fifth overtime. So that's the current situation. What the NCAA is trying to do, the rules committee, 
is college football teams will be required to run two-point plays after scoring a touchdown in the second overtime and would run nothing but alternating two-point plays if the game goes three overtimes or longer. So I know that's a lot to digest, but what are your thoughts on this possible rule adjustment? I think college overtime sucks. I think NFL overtime honestly sucks. Like I don't think there's a good overtime format for football because the game is such a long form game and possessions are so precious and valuable. And they're also real finicky. Like You could have a great possession offensively or defensively on one drive and the next drive, the wheels could completely fall off and you give up a, you know, a two play big, whether it's a turnover or or you let a a big score on two plays, like that's just how the game of football works. So I think overtime um, and it's, it's bastardized in every sport, but I Mm -hmm. I just think it's like completely just not representative of uh, football. The NFL gets there a little bit better, but I also don't like the sudden death type of situation. But for me, uh, I think this would add a little bit of excitement. I think the two-point plays are uh, really interesting. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this before on this show, but every team has two-point plays. They are tendencies. And you only have a handful of them because that's a very unique situation. And I told the story about Tyvis Powell getting the interception against Michigan in 2013. And I probably should have had a sack on that, but I ran the wrong stunt. And so I let Tyvis uh, intercept the, the football because the quarterback could get the pass off. But he knew exactly where to be. Coach Combs mm-hmm. told him, this is the two-point place, what they always run. Uh, you need to stand right here, and he'll throw the ball to you. And that's literally what happened. Um, and so the excitement there is that it would cause teams to have to maybe get a little bit more creative on their two-point play scenarios, yeah. number one. and then. Number two, you get to play that cat and mouse a little bit better. Like it's going to be the team that's more prepared. Defensively, Mm -hmm. you're going to be the team that understands the tendency a little bit better. It's going to be the team that has prepared for what the offense's inventory is. And offensively, it's going to be the team that maybe turns the extra page in the playbook and says, instead of running our traditional two-point play the way we always do, we have a wrinkle in here just in case we get to overtimes. So again, I don't necessarily love the format. I don't think I ever will, but I think this could be a very exciting way to do it. I always appreciate the two-point play, and you had mentioned the reason why, because it's just not as common, and it does make coaches really have to dig into some creativity, find ways to score, uh, which I always appreciate. I kind of think about the Tennessee Titans red zone offense last year, And I know it's not the two-point conversion, but when needed in terms of a two-point conversion, they could kind of dip into um, their red zone offense plays because they had so many different creative ones. They could go to so many guys. So it kind of adds some fun to it. When you played and you guys had, you know, to do a two-point conversion, I know you're on the defensive side of the ball, but when players get the chance to be in that situation, um, who could win a game or, you know, put them up for good. Is that like a pressure situation for players or do they thrive? Like do players love that when they're called on to, to make a play in that situation? It's definitely high tension, high anxiety, but it is the situation that you want to be in. Like you want to be the player that either, um, you know, that, that wins the game. You, you either save the team from scoring or you're the one that actually scores uh, on that play. And so I think that's kind of, 
where it is too, is it adds that, that extra layer of feeling like things are defined quickly, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think that's kind of where some of the, the high emotion comes from in the game, but it will be very interesting. Like to your point, you talked about the Tennessee Titans and the fact that they could dip into some of their red zone plays. And I think mm-hmm. the very interesting thing about that is you're 100% right. Like offenses change once they get into that point in the field, even uh, to the degree that we see personnel groupings, we wouldn't typically see out in the middle of the field. Right. And that's where I start to get a little bit excited yeah. is we're probably going to see some players who aren't regular rotational players that get to make game winning plays offensively and defensively, just because of the situation. It might be an extra defensive lineman that's in the game. Mm -hmm. It might be an extra tight end or an extra running back that comes into the game. It might be the wide receiver who's young, but he's six foot four with long arms that comes into the game and gets to make the play. And I, I think those opportunities are fantastic, too, because that's where you really start to develop your team yeah. is you throw those players in situations, you trust them, you show that you trust them, and then you just let them go out there and ball. Right. And they can build their confidence as well. If it is a young player and the play goes well and they win the game, it's like a confidence booster from the get go, I feel like. 100 percent. It's it's. There are certain game situations where young players get in special teams or, you know, it's just a regular first and 10 type play and somebody needs a blow. And it's not really a confidence booster because it's it's such a unique run of the mill situation. You get a a young player in on a third down Mm -hmm. and they make a big play like that could change the, the trajectory of their season. It could really start them on that path. You put them in there on like a big time fourth down and they make a key block like players really cling right. on to those kinds of things. So I think it's it's definitely going to be one of those situations where um, externally it can be fun for us to enjoy, but there are going to be some teams that are going to make big-time players out of some of these plays. Yeah. Well, maybe that position of the uh, analyst that's now becoming popular <laughs> can spend some time in the overtime situation. That, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I know like we're, we're ha-ha-he-heing about that. <laughs> But like every analyst right now is probably so tight because as soon as this rule changes, the head coach is going to come in yep. and he's going to say, OK, I need you to go back through the last yep. five years of whoever the head coach or the offensive coordinator is and go through every single two point conversion. Yeah. And I want you to chart all the plays. I want you to chart all the results. I want you to chart the personnel like they're going to do all that. And then coach is going to be like, great. I want to see more. So I need you to go back the last 10 years and I need you to do all those same things. These analysts are going to have their work cut out. Oh my gosh. I know. I'm just, I'm curious to see if we get to, I would love to like shadow an analyst for a day. Maybe again, this is something you could do since you're working directly with a conference with a big uh, 10 conference, but yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy to think like I'd love to be in on their daily routine because you're right. I think you're describing it just like how it's probably yeah. going to be. So I'll, I'll give you a little synopsis real quick, probably of the life of an analyst is coach gets to the office at 530. So I better be there at 445. Did you get the copy? Uh, yeah, no, the analyst doesn't, thankfully, but I better look like I'm doing something yep. at 530 when coach walks in. Um, I'm going to come up with a bunch of breakdowns for coach for the season that's coming up. And then two months later, I'm going to redo the breakdowns because that's what coach wants to do. And then when game week comes around, I'm going to redo the breakdown again because that's Mm -hmm. what coach wants to do. So it's, it's probably a lot of groundhogs day. It's a lot of combing through film, watching the same tendencies 
to the point where, and this is where it got scary is like our analysts and we didn't have like the whole staff of analysts like they do now. Right. But those guys would be out on the practice field and they would be like, Hey, you know, I was just thinking about this play. It was play 13 of the game against Northwestern back in 2013. They were in such and such personnel. They had such and such in at quarterback. Uh, They had a receiver who wasn't their typical X receiver. He was lined up off the line of scrimmage. He's a guy who's usually on the line of scrimmage. And this is what they did. So if you get into this situation, the second down between five and seven yards, and it's in this part of the field, just be on high alert. They might run that play. And it's like, bro, I ain't going to remember that. But that's what they do because that's all they study. That is insane. Yeah, it's wild. That's I, I love it though. You got to be thinking, what are these guys dreaming at night if they even sleep at all? Well, no, they like, probably don't sleep. Right? I'll just I'll tell you, like I watch, I know the amount of film that I watch for yeah. Big Ten Network, and mm-hmm. and just making sure that I can know the personnel for every single team and know their tendencies yeah. and the scheme, and then for my own breakdowns when I'm on air, I want to kind of have an idea of of what the game is going to lend itself to. Yep. And um, Madison always jokes with me because I'll be sitting up there. And I'm usually an early bird, but during the football season, like later in the week, I'll be up till like 11 o'clock just watching tape. Sure. And she's like, she's like, why don't you just go coach? Like, this is what you want to do anyway. And I tell her like, totally serious. I don't even watch that much tape. Like all these guys do is watch film. And I know I watch probably too much, so I couldn't even imagine. See, that's what's crazy. I don't think people really understand, like you said, how much film these coaches watch didn't Peyton Manning like have a room where all he did when he played was like sit in his room and just watch film and watch film I've I've read something about this where he was just insane wouldn't surprise me I I know Philip Rivers was um he got to the point where when the team moved from San Diego to Orange County Mm -hmm. he didn't want to pick up his nine children and move them, you know, two and a half hours or two hours up the road or whatever it was. Sure. So he got a uh, a van custom fitted oh with TV monitors, and and he and the backup quarterback kept their homes in San Diego, and they would ride every morning. And during their ride, what they would do is watch tape, and then on the way back home, they would watch the practice tape. So you watch tape to the facility as a quarterback. All you do is meet. So you go through all of your meetings watching nothing but tape. You go on the field and practice. And then you go back in the, the film room, you watch nothing but tape until you leave. And then the two hour commute home, you watch more tape. That is, I didn't know that story. Yeah. That is yep. insane. It's nuts. Doesn't and quarterbacks have to know all that stuff. But like, sure. if you're the quarterback coach, that means you got to know more than the quarterback. So exactly. the, imagine how much tape they watch. Man, that is the one thing I think if, if I wanted to be a coach, that's the one thing that would like probably push me away from being it. I don't know how yeah. much film I could really take. You know, it's tough. I know Luke Fickle had um, he had a projector in his office at Mm -hmm. his house and um, his wife was like pretty aggressive about like, hey, you know, you've got six children. So when you're home, you're home. And Luke was pretty good about setting those boundaries, too. But um, I went in there one time when we went over to his house and just kind of, you know, looking around being nosy. And this dude had archives, archives back to 2001 and 2002 of tape. And he says every once in a while, I'll throw on some tape because I'll see something and I'll be like, okay, this can't be the first time anybody ever did it. And I'll just watch. And then I'll find a place where I saw it before and then see how it was defended before and then make my own conclusion on, is this something that we can implement during game week? I'm like, what are you guys doing, man? That is insane. You you wonder too, 
like for the because Luke Fickle is is clearly one of the up and coming coaches, right? And, and you really think like how much film then do you think a guy like Nick Saban has watched? Over it's, Can you imagine his age? Couldn't, he's he's forgotten more tape than I've watched. I know that to be a fact. Like yeah. I I couldn't imagine. Like here, well, here's a guy, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, yeah. dude's a nut. He's a literal nut. So he's crazy and, too when it comes to that. Yeah, and so it, it's one of those situations where like you know you you'd walk into his office and even if he wasn't watching it would like passively just be on his computer or whatever um and and he's he, now this is funny because this is how a lot of the guys are this is exactly how he was is he would see something on tape that would be alarming to him offensively defensively special teams especially because he used to coach special teams yeah and he would run down the hallway to whatever coach's office that he needed to be concerned with and tell him, hey, pull up this play right now so we can talk about this right now. That's how <laughs> those guys be, are. Right? Like had to be when it's at, in your head. At that like, moment. That yes. It's not like I can take a note and we can talk about this later. It's like I'm going to interrupt whatever you're doing because yeah. this is my program and we're yeah. going to get this situated now. That's really funny. But, you yeah. know, it's, and coaches are built like that, right? Yeah. I mean, their brains are built like that. So it, it's not surprising. Uh, that's some good stuff. Those are some good stories. Uh, Joshua, see, he brings the insight that nobody has because he's been a player, right? Behind the scenes, you know? Behind the scenes, he can tell us all the goods. (laughs) (laughs) The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. So the ACC eliminated interconference, uh, the interconference transfer rule. So the whole, you know, the transfer portal, we've been talking about it because it's been so crazy ever since the pandemic hit. So today or earlier this week, I should say, they eliminated the interconference transfer rule in a unanimous decision, and that was done by the board of directors. So the interconference transfer rule was actually created back in 96, 1996, that is, um, required student athletes without a degree to sit out one year if they were transferring from one ACC school to another. Um, so now there, that is gone. Do you, I'm going to guess you probably side on on this is the good good move yeah. yeah yeah and it's it's really interesting too like I've I've known coaches to block transfers yeah like within the conference that was a big mm-hmm. thing in the Big Ten like the old rule was you don't go after other Big Ten schools commits and then if guys transfer like they're not signing with another Big Ten school right um, conferences have gotten away from doing that to allow players to have more options and more mobility, mm-hmm. which I think is a good thing. I, I am totally for this rule. I think, I, and I, I just, I guess I don't understand why anybody would ever be prevented for, from transferring within conference number one, but number two, I never understood the reason why anybody would have to sit out for a year. I thought that was ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, there's, really? there's gotta be like a reason behind it. You know, somebody who's a college football historian can probably give us the reasoning, but I just think it's stupid. Well, I'll give you an example, though, in in our business, Joshua, and and you might not have had to deal with this yet since you're fairly new on the TV side. But in local sports and news, 
you have something called like a non-compete. Sure. So I've only been in local um, in my career. And so in these markets, we sign these contracts. And in the contracts, it pretty much says during the time um, that you're in your contract, if for some reason you break your contract, you can get out of it usually if you pay money, but you cannot go to another station in that market. That's interesting. Yeah. And even, let me add this one to you. Even if you don't break your contract and you finish your contract at your station, likely you're still going to have a year non-compete. Huh. So it's interesting because this kind of reminds me of that a little bit where it's like, well, what's really the reasoning behind it, right? I mean, like... I, I don't know. I think that the, the media thing is dumb too. Like if you finish out a contract for sure, I think you should be able to go wherever you yeah. want. Like now poaching another stations yes. on air talent is a, you know, like probably taboo, probably not the greatest way to do business. So I understand that. Um, but it's like, I guess, you know, maybe these, these people are worried about like, you know, trade secrets or like whatever, mm-hmm. whatever, but you see coaches all the time yeah. that will go from like yep. low level, big 10 school, yep to like, you know, Ohio State or Michigan to Ohio State or you go from D.C. at Ohio State to head coach at Rutgers. Like there's nothing Nothing. that stops coaches Mm -mm. from moving between schools within the conference. So I truly cannot understand why they like to restrict players movement like that. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I mean, when it all comes down to it, Joshua, let's be real, though. I mean, we should be able as grown people Uh, as student athletes to, if something's not working, we should have the right to better ourselves in a different situation. Right. 100%. Come on. This is America, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what a lot of people would say, but then they're like, ah, we're going to restrict your movement because this is America. So exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, uh, right. You're so right. Know, this is again, I'm, I'm not going to get started on this like I did the last episode. <laughs> we always love those tangents. Um, I, know. I thought it'd be fun before it gets crazy busy here to do a little segment on what conferences are flexing the most when it comes to their coaches, because it's kind of been one of those things where conferences flip-flop a little bit in this category Mm -hmm. I think at one point I could have said oh the Pac-12 I'll put them up there with a conference that has some really legit coaches um like everything about the Pac-12 they've fallen off the the wagon on that one too agreed but um I I'm curious to your opinion first so I'll let you go and give me your thoughts on what conference you think rules when it comes to coaches head coach uh, so this is actually a tough one I know. right? because how do you evaluate it's a tough coaches one. is it is it evaluated off of um who has the best success is it evaluated off of who sends the most guys to the league or is it evaluated off of who does the best with what they have you know because those yeah. are like very different metrics and yep. i'm not asking you to definitively say that what I'm saying is I think this is up for interpretation in a big way. Okay. When you look at the SEC, I think their coaches always benefit from proximity to talent and recruiting. And yeah. so by nature, when you have more talented teams, you're going to have a better chance to win. 
-hmm. Now I start to look at some of the coaches, obviously Nick Saban's the best one doing it. He's the best one who's ever done it. Yeah. So you got to give him all the credit. And then you start to go down the list and a guy like Dan Mullen, what do you think about him from year to year? You know, I, I feel like mm -hmm. stock probably rising, but there are some definite questions that you could start to ask about him, sure. um, his personality, right. whether he benefits from, you know, being able to recruit well, or if it's the fact that he actually develops players, those are great questions. Mm -hmm. Georgia 100% is a team where I would say that they benefit more from their proximity to players than their coaches actually Absolutely. do with the team. Absolutely. And we've, we've talked about the metrics. If you look at the way that Georgia's recruited and you look at the way that they actually finish seasons, they have underperformed compared to recruiting rankings. Absolutely. So did you miss in recruiting? Did you just not develop those players? Like, yep. what's the deal? Mm -hmm. And so there are questions with the staff there. Uh, Ed Orgeron, we already know how I feel about him. Yep. Snake oil salesman, cheated everywhere he's been, think he's super overrated, captured lightning in a bottle for one year with statistically with Kelly, best yeah. one-year quarterback to ever do it. Don't think he'll do it again. We can keep it pushing there. When I look at the Big 12, there's really only one guy there for me. It's yeah. Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Um, and I don't say that to be disrespectful to any of the other coaches. I just say that to say that um, Oklahoma is a big reason why that conference gets the looks that it does. Mm -hmm. And his track record with developing quarterbacks and explosive offenses is um, nearly undefeated compared mm -hmm. to other college football coaches. Mm -hmm. A lot of respect for the way that he operates there. Pac-12, again, like I'm sorry, Mario Cristobal, like how do you feel about him? I think he's a good coach. I don't know if he's he's an elite coach. I think he's very good, though. But he, he ain't no Chip Kelly. And, I, and, and Chip Kelly's washed up. So We can have that conversation. I, I think you're right. right. But I, I think that this is part of his issue, though. I like Herm Edwards. Is, I like Herm, too. I've, I've actually I've got thoughts about him if, if he wants to recruit that place mm -hmm. the way that I think it can be recruited. Mm -hmm. It's warm there. I know. Lots of pretty lot young of ladies. Yeah. It's, it's a ton of fun. Mm -hmm. And you have a, a, a player's coach that can be that an opportunity. Staff. He's got like former NFL guys. Yeah, on he's, got, he's got, I mean, uh, he's got some real guys there. Doesn't he have Romeo Cornell? I think so. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's a, I'll, I'll be curious to see, you know, as we get deeper into his tenure, what they start to look like. Yeah. But I don't think that they have, well, I think Whittingham's done a good job too. When you look at Utah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go with you on that and say, yeah. I agree. And, I, and I, the hardest thing there is like outside of maybe USC, UCLA was Stanford for sec was mm -hmm. uh, Cal was like, there aren't coaching destinations. Mm -mm. in the Pac-12, really. No. You like Oregon because of the resources. Yeah. You like USC. There's a little bit of appeal to UCLA just because of the location. But but, but the coaches aren't doing anything with these programs to, to mm -mm. bring them back to where they should be, right? No, they're not. They're struggling. They're really struggling. Exactly. Yeah, and so I, I just, I don't know. I think they're tough. ACC, it's Dabo. There's Jeff Halfley at Boston College, who I like a lot. I like him, yeah. I think their program is going to be on the rise. Um, Mac. But yeah, Mac. Let me not forget about him. Got to give him some credit, right? Yeah, I'm not going to be disrespectful because mm -hmm. I, I like what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I like the way that he's running his program. I think that he's found a little bit of he's found a little bit of a niche there for an older coach. Yeah. But 
outside of that, like, what are they working with in terms of coaches? No, there's not. I had to really like look around and see like what the like what's Miami doing? You know what I'm saying? <sighs> Manny Diaz. I don't like it. I, I mean, and how do we really feel about him? I, I don't really. I don't think that's we've seen it really progress, right? We've yeah, seen, I mean, he's he's good. Pieces. Yeah, like that face you're making right now is really how I feel. Like he's got some guys down there. I think he's fine. Right. That's it. Exactly. And it's it's my it's one of those schools again, Joshua, that yep. has you know so much tradition. We've talked about yeah. some of these programs. What it's just like the dying tradition. I mean, they should do an E60 on the dying traditions of some of these college football programs. That it's might actually real, be an interesting one. Right? We it's should. A real um, thing. This is another thing. Like we got to write these ideas down. We should just start pitching these to big network networks. I know. You know like. We, I, why we, we shouldn't even be talent. We should be on the yeah. executive side here. We should be making <laughs> they like get, they get paid more. <laughs> they get paid more, better job right? security over there. That's exactly what we need to be doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it would be interesting to, to examine um, as we move into the big 10. If I had to say top to bottom, mm -hmm. I think the big 10's got some of the best coaches all around. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I say that is because every year, during bowl season, you get a big 10 team who you feel like is not as talented as sure. a team from the sec or the ACC. And they beat the piss out of them in a bowl game. Yeah. Uh, because big 10 is known for teaching fundamental football and it's known for player development. Mm -hmm. The, the talent has shifted toward the South. And so if you're Ohio state, you can go down there and get it. But if you're the rest of the big 10 schools and you're recruiting, the you know you're recruiting the mid-atlantic in the northeast and the midwest yep there are going to be some projects you have to take you got to take a three-star guy who you sure. see the potential in yeah um but in saying that ryan day i think very very good coach tom allen i think is a great coach pat fitzgerald's a guy whose name is floating around nfl circles every year he stayed and that you know that is something too that you don't get a lot of places where some of these coaches that have really built something they don't usually stay no, they don't. Oh. And and so it says a lot about him as a person. I mm -hmm. think Greg Schiano is going to be fantastic here in a yeah. couple of years. One thing that he's done really well is the transfer portal. He's found oh, yeah. a way to go into the portal and give guys second chances. He, he's gotten multiple guys who uh, didn't have a chance at Big Ten schools, mm -hmm. and they became guys for him. Um, and so I, I like that. I think Brett Bielema coming back is great for the conference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Trying to go down the list here. I don't want to disrespect him, but Kirk Ferentz is a guy who people respect a lot. I think Scott Frost has the potential. I just think there's so much still that weighs on him taking that position. Because I do my, think he's a good head coach. Yeah, I do, do want, want your my, my, my full opinions on him. I know you don't so, like him. <laughs> so just from watching him for the last couple of years, I have come to the conclusion that he is a bad demeanor guy. Uh, and what I mean by that is his face is just naturally a little bit pouty. Um, yeah. And that is exacerbated you know when things aren't going well. In ladies. Resting. Hmm. Yes. Resting B-I-T-C-H. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to call one of our conference coaches anything <laughs> I shouldn't call him. I'm just going to say that he has a, a pouty face. And let me, let me make this a star. So once oh we get off the God. call, uh, I can tell you oh, what so we you would can say. Tell me, yeah. Off the record. But, the demeanor always strikes me and especially like it's exacerbated when things aren't going well. I, I always think he looks like a little bit juvenile because he wears a sweatshirt to every game. Yeah. 
and I know like a lot of the coaches now are kind of wearing more of the pullovers guys get polos on and stuff. Um, and that's just a, like a, just, it's a dumb critique because it doesn't, that does not affect how well you coach, but when things aren't going oh, well, you start to pick on those things. Yeah. But this is, these are the facts behind it though. Outside of that legendary season he had at central Florida, Scott Frost is below 500 as a coach. So take away that one season where he found lightning in a bottle. He has not had a winning season. He has a losing record as a head coach. Um, I, I'm still trying to understand. And I, I get giving him chances because I don't think he's a bad coach per se. But there are still some people that I think are hyping him up a little bit too much. Yeah, and I think just because it was like, oh, he's coming back, blah, blah, blah. It's going to fix everything. I mean, did Harbaugh fix everything? Mm, and that's not the really. Right? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Uh, by the, the way, the comparison. we did not mention P.J. Fleck. No, we didn't. Okay. And uh, it's not to say that P.J. is a bad coach necessarily. It's just to say that, you know, we don't need to mention him because he's going to mention himself. Um, uh, James Franklin also, I know a lot of people oh, have yeah. issues with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like James Franklin. I, I think he's done fine at Penn I State. Do too. Winning in the East is tough. He's made it to Big Ten Championship. He's done the New Year's Six Bowl game thing. I think he's done a really good job. Um, yeah. And then what we kind of didn't put up here was the, uh, was the American Conference or some of the other group of five conferences. I think the American Conference, uh, between some of the coaches that they have, I think I might slide them in front of the Pac-12 <laughs> in terms of how I feel about the coaches this they have. This is my emoji Denver. face. I know. <laughs> Man, can we get the new commission soon? I know. What are we doing? I mean, can we like get can we get you to some Do you want to be the commissioner? And I'll Just, uh, look. I mean, I'll be assistant. Am I am I going to get a real commissioner salary? Is the question. <laughs> yeah, you deserve. It. I mean, between between fresh ideas and yeah, I feel like you could do the job better than Larry Scott did. Well, you well, know, low bar there though. It's a low bar. <laughs> low, low bar. <laughs> low bar. Uh, ah, what a fun episode. That's, that's fun. Uh, I and I agree with you. I when you really look at it, because I go back between the SEC and the Pac or in the Big Ten when it comes to mm -hmm. these coaches. And, you know, you got Lane Kiffin down there yep. that you got to mention. I don't know, but then you got just names, right? You got names sometimes that it's like, what have you really done? Like, Mike Leach did enough for us at Washington State because we mm -hmm. were in dire need of somebody to kind of re-energize the program. Mm -hmm. And he did do stuff for us, but he didn't do enough in terms of, what would be expected in the Big Ten or in the SEC, right? I mean, sure. He didn't. He couldn't beat Washington. Right. I mean, he couldn't beat our rival, and it's the same thing with Harbaugh and Ohio State. I mean, sure. that means a lot. Um, so now he's in the SEC, and it's like, yeah, he's a name. So you right. think of that as like, oh, big name. But like his first year wasn't great at all, and, and sure. I, I, I don't know if I believe he's going to do anything special there. I, I really don't. Well, time um, will tell on that one. Time will tell. Yeah. And then you just got some real just kind of like head scratchers, right? I mean, the, the Tennessee situation, yeah. when's the last time that they've had a big name? Um, yeah. I will give credit to, um, why am I spacing on Kentucky's coach? Um, um, brothers, I'm, I'm, Stoops. yeah, Stoops. 
Mark yeah. is Mark, Mark, right? Mark, yeah. Yeah, he's okay. I, I mean, yeah, I think I, you know what? Okay. I, I probably should give him a little bit more credit. Yeah, than what I've given to him because he, he, I think he's, he's in a tough spot geographically. Too. Was that? He's put some guys in the league too. He has, he has. Mm-hmm. I think, I think where they're at geographically compared to the rest of their conference is a really tough. Because to me, it feels like even though some people say Kentucky's like that, feels like the Midwest. It really does. It does. And that's a lot of the guys that they're recruiting. They're recruiting against a lot of guys that would be Big Ten players or ACC players and not mm-hmm. necessarily SEC guys. And uh, he puts together a respectable football team. Mm-hmm. So I definitely should give him a pat on the back for that. I, 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 he's, he's in a really difficult spot in that conference. Yeah, he is. And then another guy that I think I'm just waiting to see if it progresses is Missouri's head coach, Eli Drinkwitz. I think he's yeah. he's he's getting to be where he could you know get get something going there a little bit. I I like him as a head coach. I think he has his ways about him. He's kind of set in his sure. ways, and, and he he's he's fiery, right? I mean, I kind of like the the energy he brings to that program. So that'll be interesting to watch too. But yeah, I think the Big Ten, like you said, though, from top to bottom, just in terms of um, when you put all of that stuff into one you know, guys that you send to the league development and then winning. I'll tell you a guy that makes a lot of sense. We didn't even say how the big 10 is Paul Christ. Oh yeah. Wisconsin's coach. Like, I don't know how I just, because it's Wisconsin, right? I mean, that's, and that's the deal. Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, those cats will go um, 11 and two. Yep. And nobody's talking about them. Like yep. they'll play in a Rose Bowl and nobody's talking about them. Yep. But they they're the they are the epitome of take a three star, turn him into a baller, yep. get a five star offensive lineman who's going to become a 10 year NFL vet. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're they're a team that will take a quarterback who is just as average as can be True. and manage 11 wins in a year because yep. they they develop other players around him. They play fundamental football. Probably gonna have a running back who's gonna be in the Heisman conversation. Great O line, right. a solid defense. Like, but that's I think that right there is why I would say that I like the Big Ten coaches better than some yep. of the other conference coaches. They really earn yep. what they're doing because I think they can do more with less. Yeah, no, that's a great point, and I would agree with you because yeah, you do. You even forget about some of them. You're like, oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, we didn't even mention his name, right? Right. Wisconsin, they win a lot. It might yeah, be boring, but they win a lot. All they do is win. All yeah, it's like, win. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, great episode. We came into this. Joshua and I were like, uh, we don't really have much to talk about. A little content light. Yeah, a little content <laughs> light. Uh, but don't worry, we always create something. You know, it's just yeah, and a little just, controversy to go along with it too. You know, we love that too. <laughs> uh, where can the folks go to follow you, Joshua? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at RIP underscore JEP. My days have been getting long, which means the tweeting has uh, been been on the downslide uh-huh. as of late. And I'm just I'm just waiting for that one topic to really strike me. Um, and then, you know, I will I will waste a whole day right. on Twitter. I will run my battery down till it, zero. It tweeting. does come out of nowhere. I will it say does. that. Just the storms. I'm, right. I'm on there and I'm like, my God, we're, Josh was coming out of nowhere on this one. And then I'll go read like where it originated from. <laughs> You'll know exactly why. I'll know exactly why. Um, <laughs> you can follow me at Kayla Anderson TV as well on Twitter and Instagram. We always enjoy you guys listening. You can subscribe um, on Apple Podcasts. Really easy to do. Just type in Press Pass Pod. 
give us a like, give us a rating, subscribe, of course. Now I'm breaking this news to Joshua and he's just, he's going to be like, what? But um, I'm going to be on vacation next week. So hmm. we're, we're not going to have an episode next week. I'm going to go in back, back to Cali, Cali. Nice. Yeah. So nice. I'm going to Cali for actually leave um, this week and then I'll be there through early next week. So I'll enjoy. Thank you. I'll be sipping on some margaritas, um, playing in the sun. So Joshua, you just enjoy your time off as well. I will. All right. You guys, we'll be back here in a couple weeks. Same time, same place. Take care, guys.